At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. A warm word from Levo. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas. For Coach Gus, you can myself, Greg Eustace, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And got a great podcast for you. in the second segment. We're going to be joined by Greg Waddell. He does a great job over there at Sleepers Media. Also does a podcast unscripted that is all about Michigan State basketball over there at the field of 68 sleepers media. List goes on and on. Guy is all over the place doing a great job covering all things college basketball. And we're going to be chatting with him about what we wound up seeing in the Big Ten yesterday, what we can expect from the Big Ten tournament, and just the implications in general that the Johnny Davis injury means to Wisconsin, how Michigan was able to get by with Hunter Dickinson. So we're going to have a lot of takeaways from Sunday and turning it forward in the second segment. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. First things first, always do love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast, and you've got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline, and the other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but we had a rambunctious day of college basketball on Sunday. Let's unpack it, try to find some trends, try to get to know these teams a little bit better in the process as well. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. The day begins with Houston just completely getting throttled by Memphis. 75-61, to and quite frankly, the game wasn't this close. 49 to 29. Memphis wound up having the lead at the half. If you like me, wound up having the over. That was a little bit brutal. But for Memphis, they did a great job of just being able to force Houston into turnovers. 20 in total for the Cougars. They had 21 made buckets, so that's not necessarily too great. And for Memphis, they themselves did wind up having 17 turnovers in this game, but they did a great job winning the battle on the glass by a count of 32 to 25. Not easy to do against this Houston team. You wind up having Tyler Harris come off the bench, shot three of six from three, and this is a Memphis team that looks like they're going to be able to make the NCAA tournament, and it looks like they're going to be very feisty in the NCAA tournament. A lot of talent. I have been very critical of Betty Hardaway to say the least, and he seems to be doing a much better job of being able to coach up this team right now, so got to give a little bit of credit where credit is due there, and Memphis, they certainly do deserve a lot of credit. It's going to be interesting to gauge Wisconsin moving forward. We'll talk about this a little bit more with Greg Waddell, but Wisconsin winds up having to play most of their game against Nebraska without Johnny Davis. He was in foul trouble in the first half, then the second half, left with an injury. Wisconsin without him. They lose at home to Nebraska 74 to 73. One of the most insane things of this college basketball season is Nebraska being able to pull off three straight road wins in the Big Ten. I don't think anyone wound up seeing that coming even when you thought Nebraska might be halfway respectable coming into the year, but for Wisconsin, they do wind up going 5-23 from three-pointers. Brian Davidson hit three of those threes. He wound up giving the team 20 points, but without Johnny Davis, it's a Wisconsin team that had a rough go of it. Nebraska, a team that's been a little bit of a turnover machine on the road. They wound up having just 11 in this game. Alonzo Verge did wind up having five of those, but chipped in their six assists 26 points, 10 of 16 from the floor. I don't think Nebraska is going to be able to make overly much of a run in the Big Ten, but are you telling me that they're going to be able to match up against Penn State, Minnesota quite well? I can certainly buy that. So it's going to be very fascinating to take a look at that. You also wind up having Derek Walker give you 15 points, 7 boards down low. So Nebraska as a big underdog. They wind up being able to get the job done. We did wind up having an auto bid out there in the Big South. B pass out. Longwood winds up getting that 79 to 58. The final Longwood finishes the regular season 26 and 6. So there's a chance that they might be able to avoid the 16 line as Isaiah Wilkins was able to put up 19 points. Goes 3 of 6 from 3 points. Longwood 10 of 17 from 3. Meanwhile, Winthrop winds up going 6 of 24 from long range. DJ turn it up. Burns wound up having 14 points, but he also wound up having 5 turnovers in this game. Meanwhile, for Longwood, 
Longwood outside of Oakens. It was Leslie Nakurum who was able to give you 11 points, 6 boards. Longwood does a solid job on the glass winning that battle 31-26. And Longwood doesn't necessarily do one thing great. They just do a lot of things solid. It's a Longwood team that if you take a look at them out of conference, it's not like they wound up having any big rambunctious wins. But at the same time, they did a solid job being able to take care of their business when they did wind up facing off against lesser teams. How they're within single digits against Georgetown. Now, Georgetown, we all know how it went for them, but certainly going to be interesting to gauge this Lancers team in the NCAA tournament. More Big Ten action as you did wind up having Michigan pull off, in my opinion, their biggest win of the year, 75-69. to They take down Ohio State, and they did so without Hunter Dickinson. He was dealing with, for lack of a better term, a dummy ache in this one, and it was Devontae Jones who stepped up big for Michigan. 21 points, 9 assists, 2 steals, to just two turnovers. Michigan did a okay job on defense. Not necessarily the world's greatest as Ohio State does go 9-22 from three-part range, but Ohio State also did wind up having 13 turnovers in this game. They did wind up getting Zed Key back for this game. Four points, four boards out of him and EJ Liddell. He played like an All-American. 16 points, 13 boards, three blocks. He certainly did his part, but for Ohio State, they do wind up losing the rebound battle 35-34 to as Musa Diabate wound up having 14 points, seven boards, a massive performance for Michigan. That should be able to put them in the NCAA tournament. If you're looking at just calamities in general in college basketball, if you, like me, wound up having Central Florida, this was just an absolutely cataclysmic beat. The only time Central Florida wound up trailing in this game was after Tulsa came to half quarter to be able to win the game, 73-72. to This is a line that closed in a lot of places right around 1, 1.5, by the way, so you just needed Central Florida to pretty much be able to win the game, and they didn't. For Tulsa, they did end up having Dry Horn hit that shot at the horn. He goes 5 of 11 from 3 for 21 points. For Central Florida, they played even up on the glass, 37 to 37. That's a little bit unacceptable. Darren Green Jr. did his part, 19 points, 5 of 12 from 3. He had a very good performance also out of Darius Johnson. Johnson came to the forefront with 9 assists, 7 points. He was in with Darius Perry coming in off the bench, and Perry, he had 17 points, 7 boards, 3 assists. So the backcourt was firing all cylinders, but defense just wasn't able to do a solid job down the stretch. And you also had Central Florida go 9 of 18 at the free throw line, so that was a little bit of an issue. If you wind up taking the points with Drake, this was a little bit of a heartbreaker as well. Loyal Chicago, they wind up getting their free throws to be able to cover 5.5, 64 to 58. Loyal Chicago, they get the auto bid to the NCAA tournament for Drake. Just 5 of 20 from 3 point range. I mean, we see it time and time again out there in Arch Madness. The shooter's eye seems to be really bad. You had Loyal Chicago goes 5 of 22 from 3, so they struggled as well, but. What they did have was Ahir Ugwak along with Lucas Williamson. Both get 10 rebounds apiece. They combined for 34 points. So these two guys were able to get it done for Drake. You had Shaquan Hemphill give you 10 boards, 6 points. But for Loyal Chicago, they win the rebound battle by kind of 42-40. to 40. They overcome turning the ball over 16 times by Drake just not being able to hit their free throws. 11 of 18 at the free throw line. Loyal Chicago, 17 of 24 at the charity stripe. It is a big reason why they're going to be going to the NCAA tournament. If you had the over in SMU versus Tulane, this was brutal. You wound up having 83 points in the first half, 59 points in the second half. So right around 142 and a half, 143. That does not wind up getting there. 74 to 68. SMU is able to get the job done to the credit of Tulane. They've been playing actually really well without Jalen Cook in the full last few games. They wound up being able to win their last game as well. That was over Central Florida, but for Tulane, they overcome shooting just 421 from three points should be able to cover this game because actually did a good job on glass winning that battle by kind of 39 to 33. Now, you did wind up having won the Weathers brothers in Marcus have a good game for SMU. 12 points, 13 boards. He only went one of three from three points. Emmanuel Bandemel was able to bury a quadrant triples. 18 points for him as SMU. They go 13 to 30 from three points with just nine turnovers, but Tulane holds in there by uh, being able to do a good job on the glass, and then Jalen Forbes 16 points, 7 boards to be able to keep Tulane afloat and be able to get the cover. Wound up seeing a rambunctious overtime game in Navy versus Boston. You had a controversial charge call in overtime, but Navy gets the job done 85-80. to If you, like me, wind up having the under in this game, you're probably a little bit salty about Javante McCoy. He winds up hitting back-to-back like 28 or so footers. Goes off for 34 points for Boston U. Boston U goes 10 of 23 from 3 point range, 16 of 20 at the charity stripe to be a force overtime. Navy, a top 10 team with regards points allowed on a per-possession basis. Fights on defense. McCoy just wound up hitting shots, but for Navy, where they won this game was on the glass. 42 to 
32. They are a whole is greater than some of its parts team. They've really got one double-digit score. That'd be John Carter Jr. He winds up chipping in their 21 points, six boards, and then off the bench. Greg Summers, he was feeling very warm. He's averaging about 8.5 points for the season. 21 points, 5 assists, 6 rebounds. Navy, just 9 turnovers in an overtime game. Now, they only forced Boston U into 6 turnovers, but did a good job on the glass to be able to advance in the Patriot League tournament, and they'll be facing off against Colgate to be able to try to go to the NCAA tournament. Colgate just all over Lehigh, back on of 81 to 61. Colgate entered the day number 2 in all of college basketball in terms of 3-point shooting percentage, and they should stay there. 8 of 18 from distance. You wind up having a very solid performance from Jack Ferguson. 17 points, 4 of 5 from long range. You also wind up having a good performance on glass for this Colgate team. They wind up winning the rebound battle by a count of 43-32. to 32. A team has made each out of the last two NCAA tournaments. Favorite to be able to make it a third time around. Going to be interesting to watch that game against Navy in a few days. Chattanooga likely going to be pesky if they're able to make the NCAA tournament. Out there in the SoCon semifinal, they bludgeon Wofford by a count of 79-56 to 56 in the way that they were able to do so. Malachi Smith, one of the best players, not just in mid-major college basketball, but all of college basketball. Went off for 25 points, 11 boards. Guy that's averaging for the year, 20 points, 6.5 boards, 3 assists, and shoots right around 41% from 3-point range. He was terrific in this one. Wofford, meanwhile, they won 6-12 of 12 at the free line. They turned the ball over 13 times, and they got destroyed on glass, 32-20, to 20, as Smith was able to contribute 11 rebounds, and then you also wound up having David Jean-Baptiste be able to give the team 14 points. He winds up being able to do a good job of being able to provide a nice spark on offense for Chattanooga, so they're able to survive and advance a Michigan State team that badly needed a win. On Sunday, they were able to get it 77-67 to in the final. If you, like me, wound up laying the points, this was sweatier than it needed to be. Michigan State was up 46-24 to at one point and actually got off to an 18-1 to run to start out the day. Maryland, they wind up going 8 of 29 from three pointers. Maryland had covered, I believe, four out of their last five coming into this. Eric Ayala was able to get the team 19 points, but for Michigan State, they do go 7 of 18 from three point range, and it was really the Malik Hall show in this one. He winds up going out for 17 points, 7 of 11 from the floor. He's always open to giving you production, and for Michigan State, they do wind up turning the ball over 14 times, but won the battle on the glass, 39 to 30, to be able to get the job done out there. You did wind up having Delaware be able to win in the Colonial Conference Tournament. They take down Drexel by a count of 66-56. of 56. Big takeaway for me, Dylan Painter back in the fold for Delaware, but in a limited role. Guy that's been able to average right around 7 boards per game, only had 4 points, 2 boards in this one, but the way that Delaware was able to get the job done is that they were able to overall win that rebound battle 37-32, to 32. and for Drexel, 4-23 of 23 from 3-point range. The shooting in the CAA Tournament has been a little bit cold, as you do wind up seeing Towson get the job done, but not for a cover against Northeastern by a count 68 to 61. In that one, Northeastern went 2 of 14 from three point range. Dowson, they wound up going 9 of 23 from three point range, which is relatively where they are expected to be. And for Nicholas Simberlake, he's like the only guy in this tournament that's right now canning threes. He went 5 of 7 from three point range with 25 points. So Dowson, the top seed out there in the CAA tournament, they were able to survive and advance. Also, out there in the CAA tournament, you saw UNC Wilmington really lay it on Elon as they were able to get the job done in this one by a count of 74 to 58 as it was Elon up 36 to 31 at the half and then Wilmington they wind up going on a absolutely ridiculous 27 to 8 run through like 10 minutes in the second half to be able to really put this one out of reach Elon was just unable to hit water if they fell out of a boat in the second half Wilmington was able to put it on late and for Wilmington they go 8 of 18 from 3 point range a team that wound up actually sharing the conference crown for the regular season with Towson after a really bad start to the season had a double double in this one out of Terzavian White a guy that has been really inconsistent for UNC Wilmington, but seems to be coming into his own. And for UNC Wilmington, Michael Kudu was able to go 2 of 4 from distance for Wilmington, a team that has been very good with the ball, not turning it over 10 and a half turnovers per game. They had just 5 in this one, so they were able to continue on with that. You do wind up having Louisiana be able to get the job done out there in the Sunbelt Tournament. They wind up taking down Troy by a count of 66 of 57. In this one, Troy, they just did not wind up having it from deep. They went 4 of 21 from 3 point range. Louisiana Meanwhile, they go 4 of 16 from 3-point range. And what this Louisiana team has is a pair of guys are able to combine for about 16 rebounds per game. They only wound up having 15 in this one, but that'd be Theo Akwuba, coupled with Jordan Brown. But the big sign for Louisiana, Greg Williams, 
15 points, 5 boards. He goes 2 of 4 from 3-point range for Louisiana. Just 10 turnovers in this one. They average right around 16 for the season. For Troy, they are a team that they pride themselves on being able to get seals. They hit the glass typically. They wound up playing that even up 37 to 37, but just could not wind up getting a lot of scoring outside of Khalil Waters, who wound up giving the team 19 points. While Waters was able to produce for Troy, you wound up seeing a little bit of the opposite over there for Illinois in that Andre Corbello did not wind up producing for them, but they were still able to get the job done on Sunday as they wound up being able to take down Iowa by two points. So, unfortunately, the DK Nation pick of laying three and a half did not wind up getting there, but Illinois, 74-72 to 72 winners. Iowa loses this game at the free line. Just no if fans are butts about it. 10 of 22 at the charity stripe. Chris Murray winds up going 1 of 7 at the free line, yet 5 of 10 from the floor for 13 points. Keegan Murray beat it his part. 22 points, 11 boards, 4 blocks. He did wind up having a 6 of 8 free throw shooting performance, so he did his part. But for Illinois, what was able to get the job done for them? How about what you were able to get out of Kofi Coburn? Coupled with Coleman Hawkins. They combined for 25 rebounds. Coburn was able to give you 23 points. They combined for 5 blocks, so they were do a solid job there. Jacob Anderson did not wind up playing in this game, so Andre Cabello saw more minutes. He did have 14 points and 6 assists, but also 4 turnovers fouled out of the game. Probably one of the best things that could have happened to Illinois was him fouling out of this game because he was not too good. Meanwhile, Jordan Mohannon, 14 minutes, 0 points. That was a little bit of an issue for Iowa. I actually liked what I saw from Iowa in a losing performance in this one. Typically, you don't wind up saying that, but certainly did there. Hofstra, they wanted getting destroyed by College of Charleston. Charleston, 92-76 to winners. It's a Charleston team that they play at a breakneck pace. They play at a top-five tempo in all of college basketball. Pat Kelsey has come in and has really been able to do a good job of being able to implement his tempo with his team. And when shots are falling, it's working really well. 9-21 from three-point range for Charleston. They were able to do a solid job of being able to force Hofstra into some strange shots as well as Hofstra. 10-31 from three-par and Sheila Ray did everything to keep him in the game. 21 points out of him. Aaron Estrada, 19 points, 6 assists. I wouldn't be surprised if we wind up seeing Hofstra in like a CBI sort of tournament, but for Charleston we'll wind up helping them out as well. They won the rebound battle 40-26. to Abiyama Iola wound up having a little bit of a pedestrian night in this one. 11 points, 5 boards for Hofstra. Meanwhile, with his College of Charleston team, 31 points, 7 boards out of John Meek. So, they wound up surviving and advancing along Georgia State, who wound up being able to prolong their stay out there in the Sun Belt Tournament. They take down Appalachian State by kind of 71 to 66. Georgia State has actually been a bad three point shooting team all season long, but Corey Allen was a difference maker. Six of nine from three point range, 29 points, eight assists, six rebounds. Absolutely magnificent what we were able to get out of him. Meanwhile, for Appalachian State, they went 13 of 26 from three point range as well. It's really been a Georgia State team that has been one of the best to the under in all of college basketball this season. You take a look at Georgia State, and they wound up entering into this night with. Out of their 25 games, 18 having gone under the total. The only teams that had a better under rate going into the night, that would be Eastern Illinois and Austin P. by the way. Another team with a good under eight, South Florida. They wound up taking the floor on Sunday. And guess what? They wound up playing another under as they got completely destroyed by Temple by kind of 75 to 47. This was a game that had a 124 total. And South Florida was unable to do their part going one of 18 from three-point range. They wound up being able to play an under, by the way, for Temple. You did wind up having Mr. Damian Dunn be able to get her done. He had 27 points in this one, so got to give him a lot of credit out there. You got to give credit where credit is due on this one as well as you wound up having Furman get the job done, but it was not a cover for them. 71-68, to they win but not cover against a Sanford team that wound up going 9-18 of from three-point range. Quest Glover looks like a tremendous player out there with 23 points, but Jeremy Marshall really kept Sanford close in this game. 22 points, 12 boards. Would love to see Sanford make one of those postseason tournaments as you've got a Furman team that they got Jalen Slauson and Mike Bothwell going for 17 points. Furman winds up losing the rebound battle by kind of 32-26, to but won the turnover battle 20-10. to That has been the bugaboo for Sanford all season long, and Furman, one of the most efficient offenses in all of college basketball, was able to get it done there, and Northwestern was able to get it done over Minnesota. 75-62, to if you're looking for teams that might be interesting out there in the Big Ten tournament, Northwestern, one of the top teams that not turning it over, 9 of 23 from 3 par range. They had 10 turnovers in this game. Meanwhile, Minnesota, only 6. Minnesota's been a team that has done a good job of being able to control the ball, but with their rotation being just 6 men, you have been noticing that they've worn down quite a bit in games. It was actually a case in which 
Northwestern just bludgeoned them to start out with, so he didn't experience that fall off in this game. But Pete Nance, 19 points, 13 boards. He was able to do a very solid job. And what else has been very solid is just taking a look at college basketball all season long. You did wind up seeing yesterday, it being a case in which you wound up seeing a couple more unders than overs. 15 unders to 12 overs, so 55% of games wound up going under. You're going to find with a lot of these venues with conference tournaments that they do lend themselves to a few more unders because guys are in unfamiliar surroundings. If you look at the last seven days in general, just about a 50-50 split between overs and unders. 159 overs, 157 unders. If you take a look at games that wrapped up in regulation because he had 21 overtime games, 20 of them wound up going over. You wound up having 156 unders to 139 overs in regulation. Now, you're going to get a couple more overtime games because you do wind up having tight games in general this time of year, but I do think that that's something interesting to take a look at. If you're taking a look at the last 30 days in college basketball in general, you've been noticing that underdogs have been doing a relatively solid job. 827, 48, and 37 against the spread. That is 52.3%. And in that time span, 52% of games have wound up going over the total, but if you wind up looking in regulation, 754 unders to 732 overs because overtime games, 96 overs and 9 unders. So that'll happen to you. And something else that always happens on this podcast is being able to get great guests. Greg Waddell, he does a great job over there with Sleepers Media. He's going to be joining me next. We're going to be chatting with him just about what we're going to be getting out there in the Big Ten tournament, his takeaways from Sunday's Big Ten action, anything that you might like for Monday. He also does a great job with a field of 68, and Greg Waddell is going to be joining me next right here on Coast Coast Suits with myself, Greg Eastman, now part of the Beast and Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic, every home run, every hit, every inning, every play, from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. And we're back here in Lovey Las Vegas for Coast Coast Youth with myself, Greg Hughes, and now a part of the Beast and Family Podcast. And it is great to be joined by our guests as this man does absolutely terrific work over there with Sleepers Media and the Field of 68, the man that is out there in the wonderful Midwest, more specifically the great state of Michigan. That would be Greg Waddell. You're able to follow him on Twitter at GWizzy and then the number 12. That is 1-2, not 12 spelled out, Greg. It is always a pleasure. Only the best Gregs join this podcast, and you are certainly one of them. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, the best Greg has the best <laughs> podcast, which is you, my friend. You're out here killing the game. It's an honor to be on the platform with you. It is great to have you aboard, and it is great that we've got everything going on that we do in college basketball, and we wound up seeing a rambunctious day of Big Ten action on Sunday. You wound up seeing quite a few injuries. Jacob Granderson was out of the fold for Illinois. And then from there, you wind up obviously having, in my opinion, the biggest one pregame be Hunter Dickinson, not wind up playing for Michigan. I know that you're a bit of a Michigan fan. What did you wind up seeing from this Wolverines team on Sunday? Because it was a team that showed a lot of fight, a team that had been struggling a little bit and needed a win, and boy, did they get it. It was a must-win game, right? No Hunter Dickinson. I wrote him off, I got to be honest. As soon as I heard he was out, I thought, this is a loss. I don't think Ohio State has been playing well. I think ultimately that showed their defense is just non-existent against good teams. And Devontae Jones looked like Steve Nash in pick and rolls. And look, give Devontae Jones credit. I, I'm having a hard time as someone who's watched a lot of Michigan basketball, remembering a singular performance given the circumstances where your head coach is not there and your All-American player is not there in a must-win game where you are on the outside looking into the NCAA tournament if you lose it. And then he goes out and gives you 21 points, nine assists, and really controlled the game from start to finish. That's huge for him. A guy who, I, you know, there seems to be a narrative that he had ups and downs. I think he's been pretty good the entire season. He just looks more comfortable now. 
in more of an alpha role in that offense. And he certainly had to be that without Hunter Dickinson. And to win that game with Caleb Houston shooting 0 for 10 from the floor. I mean, he's had massive struggle shooting on the road. For them to get that done, I think it does speak to, you know, the level of talent this team has, even without Hunter Dickinson and really without Caleb Houston. You know, Musa Diabate was productive. Eli Brooks gave you 40 minutes, and he continues to be a really underappreciated good player. I've been fooled before by this Michigan team. Anytime I think they've turned a corner, a harsh reality sets back in the next game. I'm very curious to see how they play in a short turnaround series of days, hopefully, if they can get through game one in the Big Ten tournament. But it speaks to the talent that they have, and I think they officially should be an NCAA tournament team. Even if they lose the first game now, I think they've done enough to get in. No disagreement with you there. I do think that we're going to be seeing Michigan in the NCAA tournament. I'm just very curious to see what happens when Juwan Howard winds up rejoining the sidelines as well, because Juwan Howard is an amazing recruiter. He has done incredible things for Michigan. If you look at the X's and O's alone, I would think that, honestly, Phil Martelli is a little bit of a better coach, in my opinion. And it's not a slight on Juwan Howard. It's just that Phil Martelli is a guy that won 440 games. We all remember several years ago that St. Joe's team that wound up going undefeated with Jameer Nelson and company. I mean, I was stunned that Phil Martelli did not wind up getting picked up elsewhere. So I'm going to be very curious to see what winds up happening once Howard is back on the sidelines for Michigan. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch it play out. You know, I saw rumblings of fans online of like, well, what if this team goes 5-0 and without Juwan Howard? Then what happens? And obviously that didn't happen. They went 3-2. and I think their low points in these five games were as low as their high points were high. And Martelli's great. I think collectively they have one of the best staffs in the entire country, and that includes Phil Martelli, obviously, but it also includes Howard Isley. It includes Saudi Washington. I mean, to me, that's three guys who should be head coaches somewhere. Quite frankly, I bet they are very soon after the way this season is gone. I don't know that they're necessarily waiting around for job offers anymore. I think they're, they'll be able to go find them. So it's been impressive. Martelli's a key cog in that. I think when Juwan gets back, I don't think much changes. They ran a lot of the same stuff. Martelli was a very composed. It seemed like he got the guys locked in leader over the last five games. But this is still Juwan's team. Phil Martelli will be the first person to tell you that. How they respond emotionally, especially if they catch Wisconsin in that one versus eight game in the quarterfinal of the Big Ten tournament. That's what I'm excited to see. And you could tell me anything. You could tell me another fight breaks out. I wouldn't be surprised. You could tell me they're the most buttoned up team on their best behavior. And, you know, there's there's no fouls in the game. I, I would buy that, too. I don't know what to expect from this team emotionally anymore. And I'm so glad that you bring up Wisconsin. As we've got Greg Waddell joining me on the podcast. Does a great job with Sleepers Media along with the field of 68. They wind up dropping a home game to Nebraska, which, by the way, Nebraska winning three straight games on the road is one of the craziest things we've seen all season long in college basketball. I mean, you can call what it is with the first two games, but I mean, Nebraska winning three straight road games in the Big Ten is nothing short of absolutely hilarious. But I mean, it's a Wisconsin team that they wound up having that 10-point lead. Johnny Davis does go out. Now, Wisconsin did make a little bit of a run without Johnny Davis. But then from there, they wound up cratering. I'm very curious to see how this Wisconsin team does moving forward because I saw this team when they wound up having them out of the fold in a game against Nichols earlier this year. That was a game in which it was a three-point game against Nichols. And I would argue that Johnny Davis, one of the most meaningful players to his respective teams in all of college basketball, I don't know if there's a bigger drop-off to when a guy is off the floor rather than on them with Wisconsin and Johnny Davis. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I've been a little bit of a contrarian to the Johnny Davis love recently, and I work for the Field of 68 where it seems like every single person who's featured on that show has Johnny Davis as their front runner for National Player of the Year. Where I draw the line is that I think there's more around him than people give them credit for. Johnny is obviously fantastic. Right now he would be my number three for National Player of the Year behind Oscar Shibwe, who I think should win the award going away, and then behind Keegan Murray, who I think is in a very similar spot where if you took him off of Iowa, I think that team is significantly worse than they are. Quite frankly, I think Keegan at his best has been more consistent than Johnny. Johnny's been phenomenal for a lot of games. He's also had some clunker nights where his team won sort of in spite of him having some off-shooting performances. So he's great. Don't get me wrong. I just, I think there's more there. Like Brad Davison has been very good this season. Tyler Wall is the perfect complimentary guy to play off of Johnny Davis. Chucky Hepburn's really been coming along lately. It bothers me when I hear people say like this team wouldn't make the NIT without him. I just think that's 
blatantly false. He's super important. He deserves a ton of love. I think if they had Johnny Davis, they win that game, especially down the stretch. But at the same time, they were losing the game by four when Johnny Davis got hurt. They went on a 12-0 run immediately after he left the game. The story was not they lost because Johnny Davis went down to me. It just would have helped if they did have him in a one-possession game late instead of the shots they got. Like Tyler Wall missed a turnaround jumper. You'd much rather have Johnny Davis shooting that shot. Yeah, having Tyler Wall taking shots at the end of the game, not necessarily ideal. Brad Davidson still out there as well for Wisconsin. That is a guy that has played a little bit of college basketball. I think that Moses was in his Bio 101 class. So, I mean, he has been there at Wisconsin for many, many years. So, it's going to be intriguing to see what happens with Wisconsin if Johnny Davis cannot suit it up for the Big Ten tournament, as we do have Greg Waddell joining me on the podcast. And when it comes to that Big Ten tournament as well, I think it's as wide open as it gets. I mean, every single book on the face of planet Earth right now has Purdue as a favorite. I am not feeling it with this Purdue team right now just because they're not playing great defense. And when they wind up going away from Mackey, sometimes the three-point shooting can be a little bit hit or miss. Now, who you want to have at number one, I think is a fair debate. I wouldn't blame you if you wind up having Purdue as a very narrow number one, followed by the likes of Illinois. If you wind up having Johnny Davis healthy, having him in that mix as well. But I mean, just taking a look at this Big Ten tournament. I think it's one of the most wide open ones that we've seen in a very long time. Oh, 100%. As far as who's my number one, I'd almost say, can I answer that after this evening's game when we're recording this against uh, Illinois versus Iowa? Because oh, absolutely. Yeah, we were doing this before Illinois versus Iowa, and I do think that that's very fair to say. Here's my thing. It should be it should be Purdue, right? Purdue should far and away be the best team in this conference. The thing is, they're not. And they're not going to be, in my opinion. I'm very comfortable at this point saying this team cannot win a national championship. Could this team get hot and win four games? Sure. Could they lose in the first round? Absolutely. They don't defend at all. And two of their three best players can't play together even for a minute, any game, Travion Williams and Zach Eady. There's still massive identity issues with this team. Like Jaden Ivey, once a game down the stretch in a close game, he's jumping up and down because he doesn't get the ball. And I don't think it's solvable, quite frankly. I don't necessarily blame Matt Painter for any of it, but it's just a weird group of guys that have different egos and different skill sets, and they're all immensely talented, but it doesn't seem like it meshes well enough, even compare them to a Wisconsin where they're way less talented, but everybody's role makes sense to accentuate what Johnny Davis is great at. That's not what Purdue is at all. I've gotten to the point where I'm going to predict Purdue to lose early in the tournament as long as they end up matching up with a team that has some offensive firepower and can get in a shootout with them because I just see them going down early to a hot shooting team. Beyond that, Illinois is the team I'd like to say I'm most confident in to win the Big Ten tournament or in March. I think Kofi plus the shooting around him is the best singular formula for how to win basketball games in the conference. Like what they want to do is the best game plan any team has. The thing is, I certainly feel that there's a mental block with that program. Like, if you could just put those players in Michigan State jerseys, I'd be like, okay, this team's a national championship contender. But, like, that team's made one second weekend since 2004. And it kind of reminds me of Michigan football a little bit. Like, they had to finally get over the hump and just exercise all the demons. And once they did, they got there this season, right? They beat Ohio State. They got to the playoff. Maybe Illinois does that this year. I wouldn't be shocked based on the talent they have, the way Brad Underwood coaches. Like, it's all great. But I just, I've seen this before. I've seen them with the spotlight on them in a spot where they should certainly make a run or they should win a Big Ten championship, and they don't. Big opportunity for them. They can lock up a banner. For the first time in the last couple of years, I think in Brad Underwood's tenure at Illinois, that he would win the Big Ten regular season, a share of that with Wisconsin. If they can just hold serve against Iowa at home, it's a get your popcorn ready game for me because this is the game Illinois has lost as long as I followed this program and I was playing really, really good basketball right now. Yeah, Iowa is playing really good basketball once again. Same question that I do have with Purdue, the defense, but Iowa's a team that they do a much better job of being able to generate steals to their credit, and a team that ranks in the top five in all of college basketball in terms of fewest turnovers on a per-possession basis as well. So I think that that's going to be really intriguing to take a look at. The Big Ten Conference Tournament is going to be rambunctious. 
Greg, I know that you're a man out there in the Midwest as well. As of right now, for Monday, we've got a few to-be-determined games. I know that you do a good job of being able to take a look at the board. I'm not sure if you have anything for the slate on Monday. Do not feel bad if you don't, but figured I would throw it out there. Is there anything for Monday that perhaps you'll have a little bit of a play on? Man, I'm looking at that West Coast Conference tournament a little bit, and I feel that Gonzaga is going to want to make a statement here. And I love San Francisco. Don't get me wrong. I think they're a great team. I was all over San Francisco to win that game against BYU. I really like what they have. I like Jamari Boyer. But that line is opening at Gonzaga minus 12 from what I can see. When Gonzaga wants to show up and plays near their ceiling, they should be 15 to 20 point favorites against near any team in the country is my stance on Gonzaga. And you know, after the way that St. Mary's game went, I think they're out for blood. So I lean that at first glance. Again, that's not an indictment on San Francisco because I love that team. But I think this is going to be a very important, loud two days for Gonzaga heading into the NCAA tournament. I do think the 12 is a little bit short here now. I don't think that this is necessarily a totally out of whack line. I set my line at 12 and a half, but I'm with you if this winds up being a 12 line and I'm seeing that pretty much across the board right now. I'm willing to lay that myself. And something else I'm always willing to do, have you on this podcast, Greg, because you bring it every single time. You do a great job over there with Sleepers Media. You do a great job with regards to everything that you guys wind up doing. I know that you've got a podcast that is dedicated to Michigan State as well. This goes on and on of great things that you guys do over there. So let the good people at home know how they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you'll have going on the next few weeks. Absolutely. You can follow us at Sleepers Media and you'll see really all the stuff that we do. We try to get a a player interview every single week, a podcast episode every week. And then Carter Elliott and myself are the duo behind Sleepers Media. We're also the duo that does the unscripted Michigan State show for the Field of 68. So big couple weeks ahead. As you know, Greg, I'll be at the Big Ten tournament next week and then going to be doing some travel with the Field of 68 where we'll be, I think, in Philadelphia for the first weekend of the NCAA tournament and then in New Orleans for the Final Four, which is going to be a blast. So I can't wait. I would love if people follow along the journey and certainly still following along with you with these bets for the rest of the season, Greg. I know you've been making the people money out there. It's been a whole lot of fun. Last few weeks have been absolutely tremendous. I know that you've had a nice sizzler of a season over there as well with Dimers. I know that you put out a video every single day. You wind up putting out your picks. You're hitting well above 53%, which that is going to make you money every single time. Greg does absolutely amazing work and always brings it on this podcast. So a big thanks to Greg Waddell for joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. And we're back here, Bobby Las Vegas, for Ghost Ghost Hoops with myself, Greg Hughes, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Always a pleasure to get Greg Waddell on the podcast. Doing a great job over there with Sleepers Media. Does a great job out there in Big Ten country of being able to take a look at the great game of college basketball. Doing amazing work over there at the Field of 68. And always brings it when he's on this podcast. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScorty1. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. Today, that's pretty much the order in which you wind up having these conference tournaments listed in. It's going to be the Colonial leading off, 
Summit Lake, Horizon Lake, SoCon, and then you wind up having the Sun Belt and the West Coast Conference. So that is the order that we wind up going in. Typically, it's with regards to the time of the first conference tournament game, and then it winds up going down from there by conference. So that's not necessarily the worst way of going about it. I know that a lot of books, a lot of apps wind up going in this order, so makes it a little bit easier to be able to keep track of things as we're going to be leading off with this first game out there in the CAA tournament as we had to Washington, D.C., 871-872 on the banging board. Delaware It's going to be playing against Towson. No numbers up on this game. It is a situation which both of these teams had to win yesterday in order to get to this game, but it's a spot in which I do wind up setting Towson as a four-point favorite. Towson's a team that has been relatively efficient on offense. They're a top 60 offensive efficiency team. That is with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis. And you take a look at this Towson team, they're solid on defense. They're by no means a juggernaut or anything like that, but they're in the top 60 with regards to points a lot on a per-possession basis as well. Then you take a look at Delaware. It's been a team that has been a little bit lacking on the defensive end for much of the campaign, but they've been able to rein it in a little bit more recently, and they're a team that, when they do wind up hitting the road, they're not necessarily too bad with that regard. You do have Dylan Painters back in a little bit of a limited capacity for the Delaware team, a guy that overall for the year has been able to be the team's top rebounder, being able to give you right in the pocket of about 13 or so points, 7 boards per contest, but I do like the backcourt of the Delaware team. You've got Jameer Nelson Jr. giving you 14 points, 5 boards, shoots 38% from 3-point range. Ryan Allen is able to give you right around 12 points on 35% shooting. Delaware's whole, they shoot 75% at the free line, 36% from 3, and what I think is going to be key for the team continuing to get good production out of Jair Davis because with having Painter in a little bit more of a little bit capacity, he's had to do a little bit more on the glass and he has been able to do so. You take a look at it, he has been able to give the team now at least five rebounds in all but one of the team's last seven contests. He has been able to give the team double figures in every one of their games dating back to January 29th. So that's done a good job of being able to put up some points and then you take a look at this Towson team and Towson's a bunch that is very interesting in that they've got one guy that does it all in Cameron Holden. 13 and a half points, 8 boards, 3 assists, 2 steals per contest. Doesn't necessarily shoot it from 3, but then you've got Nicholas Timberlake shooting well over 40% from 3. Won 5 of 7 from distance yesterday. So maybe we get this team right around 14 and a half points, 4 and a half boards per contest, and has really been on one recently. This is a guy that has scored at least 13 points in now each of the team's last 6 contests. So he has been playing his best basketball of late. Antonio Rizzuto, Jason Gibson, they combined for 18 points. They combined to shoot about 40% from 3. Brian Shelson, they shoot 36.5% from 3 as a collective. They generally right around to the seals for contest, but I do think that Delaware is going to be a little bit of a hard matchup. These two teams wound up meeting up actually last week in a game that it was like played through the beginning part of the second half and Delaware was in the lead and then you wound up having it resumed and Delaware just did not wind up having anything in the tank. So I do think that there's going to be a little bit of a revenge angle for what was one of the wonkiest things I've ever seen in college basketball history. I do think that Delaware is going to be a hold in there. It seems like this arena that they're playing in not as conducive to three-point shooting. I I do think the tired likes might be coming through. So set my total at 134. NMA Towson, a four-point favorite. Game 873, 874 on the betting board. You've got UNC Wilmington taking on Charleston. Charleston and UNC Wilmington did battle yesterday to be able to survive in advance to make it to the spot. And in this one, I did by making Charleston a three-point favorite. You take a look at Wilmington, they've obviously got the better record. But I do think that Charleston has a good shot to be able to get the job done here because they are a team that they're able to go just scorched earth with regards to their offense. Now, with that said, it's a Charleston team that has given up at least 72 points in each out of their last six games. But with that said, this is a team that they've been able to get to at least 77 in each other last six as well. Meanwhile, you take a look at UNC Wilmington, a little bit more of a controlled, a little bit more of a defense-oriented team. It's a team that has allowed 63 points of fear in each other last three contests. In the game yesterday that they played against Elon, they were trailing at the half, and then they were able to strike a little bit of fire as they wound up going 8 of 18 from 3 par inch, who I think is going to need to step up in this game is Jalen Sims. Sims has been doing it all season long for UNC Wilmington, a guy that wound up having 16 points in their game yesterday, and you take a look at him for the season, he's really been the team's stat sheet suffer. Guy that has been able to give you right in the pocket of about 16 points, 5.5 boards, shoots about 34% from 3, nothing great, nothing terrible with Wilmington, the big thing for the team is that they just don't turn the ball over. They only turn the ball over right around ten and a half times for contest. And Charleston is a team that they actually excel on trying to be able to nab some seals right around eight and a half per contest. Charleston has just been able to get their pace in every single game that they played this season. They are number two in all of college basketball with regards to possessions per game. They shoot about thirty-four percent from three. You've got Renee Smith, coupled with Brendan Tucker, being able to combine to be able to give you about twenty-four points per contest. John Meeks. 
13 and a half points, four and a half boards. I do like what I'm seeing out of him, but what I think is really going to help Charleston be able to get the job now. This is a team that they get a lot of offensive rebounds in road and neutral court games. Top five in all of college basketball in that regard. You are able to throw in there Demetrius Underwood, who's able to give you 11 and a half points, seven boards, three and a half assists, 2.2 seals. Does it all. This is a Charleston team that they do commit right around 15 after on a scrim. That's a little bit of an issue. You got a Wilmington team that they generate right around 7.7 seals per game, but Charleston is a team that's starting to heat up from three-point range. They're a team that they do a great job of being able to get their tempo, so I do what I'm saying. My total at 155, and I think that Charleston, with their style, gets the job done, set them as a five-point favorite. We go to Sioux Falls, South Dakota for the Summit League semifinals. 875-876 on the banking board. You've got yourself South Dakota, and they're going to be playing against South Dakota State. In the Battle of Dakotas, I want to make South Dakota State an 11.5-point favorite. We've got no overnight numbers. Both of these teams had to win yesterday to be able to get to this spot, but when it comes to the South Dakota State squad, I do think that they're going to be able to take it to a South Dakota team that they've been able to do a solid job on offense. South Dakota is a top 65 team with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis, so they do a relatively solid job there. South Dakota, a little bit more of a slow and controlled team. This is a team that they rank outside of the top 225 with regards to possessions per game. They're clocking in right around 240th or so with that regard. Meanwhile, you take a look at what you're able to get out of South Dakota State. They are by far the best three-point shooting team in all of college basketball. 44.7%. You don't have a single other team that shoots north of 40% for a three-point. And you've got a pair of teams that we're going to call what it is. They don't necessarily do the world's greatest job on defense. South Dakota State, 246th in the country with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. And when they are away from home, they allow nearly 17 points more per 100 possessions rather than when they are at home. So that is a little bit of an issue. And then you take a look at the South Dakota bunch, and they allow right around 104.5 points Per 100 possessions as 276 in all of college basketball. Hunter Goodrick, I think he's going to have a little bit of a tough time down low. For South Dakota, has been able to do a solid job giving you right around 7 boards, 7.2 points per game. at 14 points, 8 rebounds in the win over UMKC. And then you take a look at the South Dakota team in general. And yeah, a team that has a collective, they do shoot right around 38% from 3. Well, they're not South Dakota State. They certainly are relatively solid. And got a pair of guys in Mason Armichel along Cruz Petio Hunt would be able to combine for about 30 points per contest. You got Petio Hunt shooting 40% from 3. Mason and Armbruchelt shoots 39% for 3 and 92% of the free fly. Your top three scores for the South Dakota team, you're able to throw the Tazo Calmateros. He's been able to give you 11.5 points, right around 5.5 points. They all shoot at least 83.5% of the free fly, but just take a look at the South Dakota State team. They're able to go score sure on you. Baylor Shireman has really been Mr. Do It All for this team. He's a guy that for the season is averaging 16.5 points, 8 boards, 4.5 assists. He shoots 47.5% from 3-point range. It's been absolutely magnificent to be able to watch him. You've been able to have some of the lesser guys like Alex Arians, Charlie Easily. They combine to shoot about 48% from three-point range. They both give you between 8 to 9 points per contest. You've been able to get some good production out of Douglas Wilson as well. Wilson is a guy that was a Summit League Player of the Year a few years ago. 16 points, 5.5 boards. I think that's just going to be an overwhelming barrage of offense here for South Dakota State. Last time they wound up facing against the Coyotes, they wound up getting the job done on the road by a count of 89 to 79. First matchup, you wound up seeing South Dakota State be able to win that one as well. That was more of an 84-65 game in that game. You wound up having South Dakota go right around 45% from the floor. They tried to slow things down. Did not wind up being the case. South Dakota State, they wound up putting up 84 points on 53 shot attempts. So, I do think that South Dakota State is going to be able to get their tempo in this game. I think that they're going to be putting up points plenty, and I do think that they complete the trio against South Dakota. It's hard to be able to knock off a team three times. South Dakota State, I think is poised for it. Set South Dakota State as an 11.5 point favorite, so that's with the Jackrabbits and made my total 163.5. 877-878 on the main board. Saying out there in South Dakota. How about if we go with North Dakota State and Oral Roberts? No numbers up on this game. I do mind saying my total at a 150.5. You wound up having a pair of unders when these two teams wound up playing this season, and I do think that it's really hard to defeat a team twice. North Dakota State swept the regular season series between these two, and I think that it's going to be a little bit tough for them in this game. I do mind saying Oral Roberts as a result, a 2.5 point favorite last time these two teams wound up playing. North Dakota State got the job done 77-59 to in mid-February again in which Oral Roberts shot just 34% from the floor end. North Dakota State in both of the games that these two teams have played, they've gotten a little bit more of their style. They went 10 of 19 in that contest I wanted mentioning a little bit earlier. Sam Greasel in that game at 22 points overall. Greasel 13.5 points, 6 boards, 3.1 assists. He's been able to shoot 36.5% from 3 pairing, so he's been rock solid with that regard, but I do think that it's an Oral Roberts team that's going to be a little bit more prepared 
for the North Dakota State team in that last game. Max Smith wound up having 21 points on 25 shots. I just don't see that being the case. Once again, you've got an Oral Roberts team as a collective. They shoot 38.3% from three-point range. That's in the top 15 in all of college basketball. You've got a North Dakota State team that's going to have to try to defend all these guys. Like Smith, who I mentioned a little bit earlier, he gives you 23 points, 3.5 assists per game, but take a look past that. Deshaun Weaver, Isaac McBride, Trey Phipps, these guys have been able to combine for about 38.5 points per contest. You've got McBride and Phipps both shooting over 40% from three-point range. And it's a team that they do a relatively solid job down low. Kareem Thompson has been able to give you 7.5 points right on six boards per game. Elijah Lufile has been able to give you 6.5 boards and nearly 8 points per game now. Rocky Cruiser, 6 for 10 combo player. That does it all. 16 points, 8 boards. He's able to shoot 40% from three-point range. And then got North Dakota State team as a collective. They shoot 77% at the free throw line, but both of these teams relatively rock solid at the free throw line. I think Oral Roberts gets their revenge. Set them as a 2.5-point favorite and made my total on this game 150.5. We head to the Horizon League tournament. 879-880 on the betting board. you got Cleveland State and Wright State doing battle from Farmers Coliseum out there in Indianapolis. This game is a pick to Cleveland State being a one-point favorite in your total on this game. Going to be finding it anywhere between 147 and 148. Did I saying my total out of 144? Now, you do have a pair of teams that they play at a brisk tempo, not necessarily a breakneck pace. You've got a right state team that, with regards to possessions per game, you're seeing them clocking in now about 157. So, they've been throttling down a little bit more. Cleveland State, meanwhile, they were a little bit slower towards the beginning part of the season, and they've throttled up a little bit more around 115th, but you'll notice that both of these teams have slowed down over the last, I would say, two or so weeks. So, I do think that that's an important moniker in this game. Now, when it comes to this Cleveland State team, their big bugaboo is that they don't necessarily shoot a great at the free line. This is a team that has a collective. They shoot right around 67.5% of the charity strike, but this is also one of the more dominant defensive teams that you're going to be able to find. With regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, it's a Cleveland State team that they rank right around 155th. You've got a right State team that they leave a little bit of something to be desired on the defensive end, right around 228th with this regard. With Wright State, it was a team that at the beginning part of the season, they were absolutely awful from three-point range, but maybe they'll pick it up a little bit more recently. Tanner Olden, Grant Pazeal. These two guys combined for 38.5 points, right in the neighborhood, about 16 rebounds per game. Both shoot between 77.5 and 78.5% at the free line. Holden shoots about 33% for three-point range. Wright State as a whole, they shoot about 32% for distance. They're really looking to claw the ball inside. It's a Wright State team that only turns the ball over 12 times per contest. Meanwhile, Cleveland State, their lifeblood is being able to get steals. They get right around 8.5 per contest with Demoy Hodge really being the headliner for this. He leads the team with 15 points, 2.3 steals. Not a guy that's going to give you a lot of assists or anything like that, but you take a look at what Hodge has been able to do. Three plus steals in each out of the last four contests for this team, so he has been able to do a great job of having active hands, and so he will cut down on the turnovers as well. He's had three turnovers or fewer in all but one of the team's games really ever since the middle part of the season, so I do think that he's going to be able to do a solid job in this game. you got Trey Gomillion who's been able to give you 10.5 points per contest. He's been going big with 42% three-point shooting. Torrey Penn does it all. 14 points, six boards, three and a half assists per game with right State. Big trepidation I have with this team. You don't have a lot of depth. A.J. Bronze is able to give you six points per contest. You've got Tim Finke, Trey Calvin. They've been able to do a solid job. Calvin especially, 14 points, three and a half assists, steal and a half per contest. Shoots 37% per three. Finke shoots more around 76% of the charity stripe with eight and a half points, five boards, but I just don't know if someone like an Andrew Wellich is going to be able to come through Cleveland State. They seem to do a better job with their rotations. You take a look at the last time these two teams wound up playing, and it was Cleveland State, who was able to get the job done. You do have to go back to January for this, but they wound up being able to get that win by a count of 71-67 to 67 on the road. And I do think that Cleveland State gets it done once again. And what's going to be a relatively tight game, I think the total will be something similar to that. Set it at a 144. I'm willing to dive under. Cleveland State made them a two-point favorite. 881-882 on the betting board. Staying out there in Indianapolis, you've got Northern Kentucky taking on Fort Wayne. IPFW, a 1-2 to two point underdog in your total on this game. And between 135.5 and 136.5 I do mind saying my total at a 142. You've got a Northern Kentucky team that has been relatively respectable on defense. With that said, it's a Northern Kentucky team that has been playing a little bit of an interesting tempo. They're right around 3rd in the country with regards to possessions. Green. You've got an IPFW team that they both give it up on offense and they wind up shooting it on offense. And they're a little bit more brisk. Right around 120th in the country with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis with Northern Kentucky. You do have to like what you're able to get down low of the team as you got a pair of guys that are able to give you a combined about 15 or so rebounds per 
Irving and Adrian Nelson coupled with Chris Brandon. Brandon does a little bit of a better job on the offensive glass. Nelson does a little bit of a better job on the defensive glass. What has been big for this Northern Kentucky team, the duel of Travion Faulkner along Sam Vincent. Both give you between 11.5 and 12 points per contest, but Vincent, two steals per contest. It's a Northern Kentucky team that they really do a good job with active hands. They do turn the ball over 13 times per game, but they generate nine steals per game. They shoot about 34% from three. Vincent and Faulkner both shoot between 35.5 and 37.5% from three-point range. Marquise Warwick a little bit more of the gunner for this team. 16 and a half points, right around two and a half assists per contest. A guy that has been able to go off for 22 plus points in each of the team's last four contests. You've really been seeing Northern Kentucky coming into their own with regards to the offense. 70 plus points in each of their last four games. Meanwhile, you got a Fort Wayne team that in conference they shot just below 40% from three-pointers. 37.7% overall for the season. And you've got a team that shoots it really well at the free throw line. Among your top five scores, four of them shoot at least 78.8% at the free throw line. They shoot as a collective 75.5% at the charities stripe. You've got Jared Goffrey, who's able to give you 15 points, 4 assists. Jamie Young-Chung-Q also does a good job flowing the offense. 3.5 assists per contest. This is a Fort Wayne team that they themselves do a good job of being able to generate turnovers, as they give you right around 8.8 steals per game. So, I do think that that's going to be very important in this game. Fort Wayne is a team that leaves a little bit of something to be desired on defense. 152nd in the country with the guards points allowed on a per-possession basis. Northern Kentucky, they're right there in the same boat at 140th. Northern Kentucky's defense has been able to travel a little bit better, but I do think that our Capadia is going to be able to hold up in this game. 8.5 points, 6 boards per game for this team. Bobby Plantis is a guy with size and good versatility. He's able to shoot 39% per 3 at six foot eight, nine points. Only right around 3.5 boards per game, but also shoots 97% at the free throw line. This is a Fort Wayne team that may have been able to get hellaciously hot with their offense as well. It's a team that has scored at least 74 points and now each of their last five games, they've given up at least 70 in each of their last four. So it's a team that they're playing some very high-scoring affairs really ever since their three-overtime game against Cleveland State. It has been all about the offense with this team, and I do think that they're going to be able to put up points of plenty in this game. So my total at 142. I'm willing to go over, but with Northern Kentucky, I do trust in them a little bit more in this spot. I'm willing to lay the two nothing more with Northern Kentucky. If this winds up getting to a two and a half to a three, I am willing to take the points with Fort Wayne, but not necessarily the money line because I do think that this is going to come down to a little bit of foul shooting late. Northern Kentucky not quite as good as Fort Wayne, but 71.5% has been improving lately. I do think that you're going to be able to get a little bit of something out there in the backcourt as well from someone in Bryson Langdon who's been able to give you right around six points and four assists per game. So I do like Northern Kentucky here. Here at two, it's going to be a little bit of a wait and see. Try to get more like a one, one and a half if at all possible. And if we wind up getting up a little bit further, then it's going to be a take on Fort Wayne to go along with the over. Game 883-884 on the betting board. The Zocon Championship from Asheville, North Carolina. You've got Chattanooga and they're going to be taking on Furman. Both of these teams had to win yesterday in order to get to today. And this is a line in which I want to make Chattanooga a two and a half point favorite. I set my total at 135. Chattanooga wound up winning both games during the regular season between these two, including the last one that wound up coming in mid-February. Chattanooga's a team that wound up winning that game, by the way, without one of their main rebounders in Silvio de Sosa, and they still wound up winning the rebound battle in that game by kind of 38-25. to 25. So, I do think that Chattanooga has a little bit of an advantage inside, and Chattanooga's going to have the best player. That'd be Malachi Smith. Smith, for the year, is averaging a little bit over 20 points, six half boards, three assists, shooting 40% for three, one off for 25-11 and 11 yesterday in the win against Wofford. It's a Chattanooga team that shoots it well from three-point range at about 35%. Furman, they are one of the best three-point shooting teams in all of college basketball, a little bit north of 38%. And you do have to like the fact that you've got Mike Bothwell along with Alex Hunter out there in the backcourt. These two guys combined to be able to give you right around 20.5 points per contest, and then you throw in there Jalen Slauson, who's able to go off for a triple-double on any given night. 14.5 points, 7.5 boards, 3.8 assists, 1.8 steals, 1.7 blocks. I mean, the guy literally does it all. Hunter shoots 42% per three. Conley Garrison, he's able to give you 44% three-point shooting. He's been able to chip in there 10 points per contest. You've had some ancillary pieces be able to step up for the team, but also a guy in Darius Banks. He's been able to do a solid job for this Chattanooga team with right around five boards per contest. He really did a good job of holding it down when they were dealing with an injury to Mr. De Sosa, and then you take a look at David Jean Baptiste, guy that shoots just below 40% from three-point range. He's been able to pull out right around 13 points per contest and be able to do a good job there, and this is a Furman team that they have really cranked down their tempo this year. It's a team that traditionally you're going to find them more in the top one with regards to possessions per game. Chattanooga, they're very much a slow and controlled team as well. Chattanooga with regards to possessions per game, right around 292nd in all of college basketball. But Furman, they're more around 260th this season after being more of a mid-tempo team last year. I do think that you're going to be able to get a little bit of something out of some of these ancillary pieces, like a Garrett Hine who wound up having 8 points on 4-4 shooting yesterday. But that said, Devine saying my total at 135. Two teams that are very solid with regards to their offensive efficiency, but don't necessarily play fast. I just think that 
Chattanooga. Having the best player out there on the floor. And Mr. Smith is going to be able to get the job done. So made them a two-and-a-half point favorite. 885-886 on the betting board. You have the Sun Belt title game as you've got in this one Louisiana and Georgia State. Do mind saying Georgia State as a two-and-a-half point favorite in this spot. Also made my total 138-half. You've got a Georgia State team that they have throttled down from past years. Georgia State typically a team that they're looking to play very fast. A team that typically shoots a really well from three-point range. And they were able to shoot a much better from three-point range yesterday than they have in the past. Overall this season, Georgia State shooting about 32-ish percent from three-point range yesterday. They went 8 of 15 from three-point range. I think that you're going to see a little bit of regression. Corey Allen in the game yesterday, 29 points. He wound up having 8 assists, 6 boards, and won 6 of 9 from three-point range. So, guys I named him wound up going 2 of 6 from three-point range, but with Georgia State, you've got to like what you're able to get out of Elil Ensume, a guy that has been averaging just near a double-double this season. Nine points, nine and a half boards per contest. Kane Williams has been able to do a good job along with Justin Roberts out there in the backcourt. These two guys combined for 24 and a half points per contest. Williams has only shot about 27.5% from three-point range, but does a good job of being able to help flow the offense. Roberts gives you two and a half assists per game. Williams, more like four assists per contest. The big thing for Georgia State is they're going to have a little bit of a tough time down low. As you've got a pair of guys for Louisiana and Theo Akwuba, coupled with Jordan Brown, that do an absolutely tremendous job on the glass. They combine for about 16 and a half rebounds. Wayne Brown is a former McDonald's All-American that's shooting 44% from three-point range has been able to give you 15 and a half points per contest. Akwuba, not necessarily as much of an offensive force. A guy that's been able to average more around nine points per contest. They've been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Kobe Julian. Julian is a guy that overall this season has been able to give you right around 12 and a half points per contest. Wanted returning to the team yesterday against Troy and looked very good in that game with 17 points. So that is a very good sign for Louisiana, but still, it's a team that they leave a little bit of something to be desired out there in the backcourt. Kentrell Garnett is a guy that shoots over 45% from three, but doesn't necessarily see a lot of minutes. Jalen Dallincourt has been up and down for the team. Six points per contest. A guy that's been able to shoot about 34.5% from three point range. Wound up having 16 points against UT Arlington, but I do think that Georgia State just has more options in general that they're able to look to for scoring, and you've got a Louisiana team that they're currently turning the ball over right around 16 and a half times per contest. That's one of the worst marks out there in all of college basketball. Now, you've got both of these teams playing with a little bit of pace. Louisiana is a team that they rank in the top 80 with regards to possessions frame. Georgia State is not necessarily a breakneck pace team, but at the same time, they still play at a rather steady tempo. They rank with regards to possessions per game right around 289th, which I find to be very intriguing because I do think that you're going to see a Georgia State team that is going to be able to do a little bit of a better job of being able to push a tad bit more tempo in this spot. I did wind up saying this a lot at 138.5. I did wind up making Georgia State, a two and a half point favorite. 887, 888 on the betting board. You got San Francisco, and they're going to be playing against Gonzaga in lovely Las Vegas. Gonzaga is laying 12 points. Toronto's game is anywhere between 154 and 155 with Gonzaga. Made them a 12 and a half point favorite. 12 and a half is a max I'd be willing to lay with Gonzaga, but even if you do wind up finding the hook on this game, I would be willing to lay it. You would need to give me a 13 or more to be able to take a shot here on San Francisco. Now, I do think that there is something to the narrative of trying to beat a team three times. I do think that San Francisco is going to be able to come out with a little bit more of a spirited effort. You wound up seeing it the last time. They wound up playing against Gonzaga. They got completely flattened towards the early part of the game, and then they did make things a little bit more interesting. It was like a 12-point game with about 2.30 remaining, and then Gonzaga was able to hit free throws. They were able to put the game away. Gonzaga in the top five in all of college basketball with regards to points scored and points allowed on a per-possession basis, but you've got a San Francisco team that they themselves are relatively well-rounded. It's a San Francisco team that they do rank in the top 30 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, actually giving up fewer points per possession on the road rather than at home, so I do think that that's going to be of a little bit of impact. Now, when it comes to the Orleans Arena, it is a little bit tougher to shoot at, but I do think that both of these teams are solid enough that they should be able to put up enough points in this game, and I do think that you're going to get another very brisk tempo like we wound up seeing last time around. Last time these two teams wound up playing, it was 89-73, so I do wind up saying my total 156.5, but you do take a look at the Dons, and got a team that has a collective, they shoot about 35.5% from three. Big trepidation here is that they shoot sub-70% at the free throw line, but Jamari Boye, 17 points, 5 boards, 4 assists, 2 steals per contest has been rock solid. Khalil Shabazz, Yuan Muzlitsky have been able to give you a combined 13.5 points per contest. Shabazz is out there in the backcourt, 1.7 steals per contest. Muzlitsky is able to give you 9.5 boards per game, so he's been able to do a solid job there. Gabe Stefanini is able to give you a steal, shoot 35% for 3 with nearly 10 points per contest, but then you take a look at Gonzaga. Roger Bolton really gets 
lost in the sauce with this team, but he gives you 11 points, 2.5 assists. She's 47% from three-point range. Has been absolutely ridiculous. And a shot better on the road than he has at home. So you got to give him that. Drew Timmy, Chad Holmgren, these two guys down low are amazing. They combine for about 32 points, 16 rebounds. Just unfair with Holmgren. She's 44% from three with three and a half blocks as a seven-footer. And then Julian Strother. So we will give you right around 12.5 points per contest. Andrew Numbart, 5.5 assists to 1.8 turnovers per game. I mean, this is a Gonzaga team that they are absolutely amazing. They always get their tempo. Aside from when they play against St. Mary's, I do think that things are going to be a little bit more brisk, but I do think that San Francisco is going to be able to play this game a little bit tighter. You wind up seeing them in the second half of the first game actually be right in there until about the 16-minute mark of the second half. They wound up fading from there. I think that San Francisco is going to be able to give Gonzaga their best shot. Set my line at 12.5. 12.5 or less. One lay with Gonzaga. If it gets up north of 13, then it becomes a take on San Francisco and made my total 156.5. So looking at it over here at 153.5 to 150. 54 and a half ish. We move on to 889, 890. This is a final game, and this is a DK Nation pick. As we've got Santa Clara playing against St. Mary's. St. Mary's is a five to five and a half point favorite. Your turn on this game, it wound up beginning on the open at a 141. We have seen this drop already. I'm seeing it in a lot of places, anywhere between a 139 and a half to a 140 and a half. And I made my total 134. The DK Nation pick is going to be the under. We've got a Santa Clara team that has been playing at a relatively brisk tempo, and they did wind up putting up 77 points the last time they played against St. Mary's. The only other team to exceed 70 points against St. Mary's this year, maybe Gonzaga. I think that St. Mary's is going to be able to get their tempo. They're a bottom 20 team with the guys' possession frame in road and neutral court games. You've got a St. Mary's team which the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Alex Dusas, Logan Johnson, coupled with Tommy Cousy and Matthias Toss. I'll give you between 10.4 and 12.5 points per contest. All these guys, aside from Toss, give you between 3.7 and 4 boards per game. Toss is able to give you 6.5 so he's able to do a solid job there. And really, all these guys shoot in the high 70s from the free throw line, so it's like you've got clones of each other. St. Mary's has collected 75.7% of the charity strike. They only turned the ball over 11 and a half times for contest, and they do rank in the top 45 with regards points scored on a per possession basis. You've got Johnson giving you two seals per contest. I do think, though, that Santa Clara could be a hold in this game. I set my line at five, so now that we're seeing the hooks come out, I'm willing to take a shot here on Santa Clara because you do have a pair of guys in Joseph Arankic, coupled with Keisha on Justice. They combine for 28 points per contest. Both of these guys, six foot seven or taller. You've got Justice shooting 42% from three point range. Both of these guys shoot north of 80% the charity stripe, including Justice, 89% the free line. They shoot 77% as a collective at the charity stripe and in the top 15 in off-college basketball from three-point range, 38.8%. I do think, though, that it is going to be a case in which St. Mary's is going to be able to get this thing slowed down. You do have a guy in Parker Braun who does a solid job for Santa Clara with right around five and a half boards per game. It is a Santa Clara team that it's just a system with them. Every single guy knows their role. They do a very solid job. Kyle Bowen, like, for instance, gives you six rebounds per game. He does a solid job there. You've been able to get some good pickpocketing out of Augustus Marcellius, who's been able to give you just three and a half points per game, but chips in there two assists, chips in there a seal per contest. I like the way that the St. Mary's team has been able to play and get their slow and grimy style. So the DK Nation pick is going to be on the under, but with that said, I do think the Santa Clara is going to be able to stay live in this one, even the first time around when they weren't able to get to 70 points. They were able to get a cover in that game as well. So set my line at five. Won't take five and a half here with Santa Clara and the DK Nation pick. Going to be the under. And that'll wrap things up for the Monday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the VEASAN family of podcasts. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, got one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at your 41 Keep in mind, letters M. Maybe it does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline and the other way. It's fine an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you like here on this podcast. Five, that five-star review. We're coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. That means coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.